Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. Now, uh, let's turn our attention to God's Word. You may have noticed this behind me. It's been up here for a few weeks. If you're a first-time guest with us today, we're playing words with friends like everybody else in the world, okay? If you're a Facebook person, somebody has either sucked you in or annoyed you with 13 requests to play words with friends. Long and short of it is, it's, uh, it's, it's fancy Scrabble, isn't it, Laura? It's just fancy Scrabble, okay? But uh, uh, you play it like Scrabble by trying to spell words that Laura makes up in order to beat me. Um, we're using real words up here, not the kind that Laura makes. X-I is not a word, okay? It's not. It is not. In Chinese, okay? Uh, yeah. But uh, when is a real word, and that's the word for today. Uh, we started a few weeks ago with lineup. We're looking at the first five chapters of Matthew between now and Christmas. And lineup was from the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew chapter 1. And it's really instead of the royal lineage of Jesus. It's a lineup of losers. It is all these people whose lives are a flaming disaster. But God used this lineup of losers to bring the Savior of the world into the world. From that, we learned that if he can use a lineup of losers to bring the Savior of the world into the world, then he can also use people like us to advance the kingdom of Jesus in this world if we will simply ask him to use us and join his kingdom. I think it's a fantastic message. Lineup was week number one. Lineup number, or week number two was the word turn turn, and it's how we get into the uh, the kingdom of God, not into the lineup of losers, into the kingdom of God. We turn from our former way of life, and we turn toward God, and we walk his direction, and one of those first steps that we take is the step of baptism. And without preaching the whole sermon again, know this, five people came forward that Sunday, we baptized them right here in front of the congregation. Fantastic, fantastic day. We uh, Week number three, uh, was when we started this series that I'm kind of wrapping up today, kind of a mini-series on how to deal with temptation. And so our three words dealing with temptation are choose, lose, and win. Uh, we're studying Matthew chapter 4 here and looking at the, the temptation of Jesus. And we found out that in temptation, if I want to win, I must first choose my destination. Where do I want this thing to take me? If instead I'm focusing on the details, ooh, do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? Do I want to do it? I probably am going to want to do it. And if I want to do it, I'm going to do it. If instead I take a kind of a 30,000 foot perspective and I back off from it and say, where will this decision take me? Things get a whole lot clearer. When temptation, I first must choose a destination. Last week, we took a look at this horrible reality that that we lose a lot in temptation. We lose far more often than we want to, far more often than we ought to. And we asked ourselves the question, why do I lose so much? And the truth is that I lose often because I play to lose. I, I lose because I was playing using the tactics that would produce failure or loss. I, I flirt with sin. I decide I'm going to try it just a little bit, dabble in it. And before long, I find out that I have just kind of punched in and away I go. Well, today I want to take one last look at the story of Jesus' temptation. And I want to ask and I want to answer this question. When facing temptation, how can I win? And the answer to that question is this. If I want to win, I have to play to win. If I lost because I play to lose, then if I want to win, 
I have to purposely play to win. Just sort of makes sense to me. So let's take a look at it today. Let's take the rest of our time together here today to learn what it means to play to win. And as far as I understand it, playing to win really involves learning three plays and executing them. I'll teach you the plays in just a minute, but first I got to tell you that you have, uh, you're first going to have to do a, a little bit of um, self-exploration. Got to have a little bit of self-awareness before we can go any further, okay? And uh, it's going to come in this form. You have to understand what a human being really is. If you want to learn how to play to win in the face of temptation, you first have to learn what a human being is. Some people talk like human beings are a body and a soul. And they use the word soul and the word spirit kind of interchangeably, and, they, uh, and it's to their own detriment, okay? A human being is a body, a soul, and a spirit. And I don't know how to define spirit for you, because spirit is kind of ineffable. It, 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 what is your spirit? It's the, right? It's the essential life of you. Everybody knows what the body is, spirit, body, and but connecting those two things is the human soul. And the soul is made up of mind, will, and emotions. Mind, thinker, will, decider, emotions, feeler. Okay, mind, will, and emotions, that's the human soul. Um, the reason that I'm, I'm telling you these things this morning is because if you are going to play to win in the face of temptation, you have to understand where the battle is likely to take place. And um, you can record this, you can download the, uh, the, the podcast tomorrow, and you can take it to your psychologist and have them examine my head. It'll probably be great fun. Because they're going to tell you something about your pastor is probably repressed and telling you to repress some things. But listen, I'm all about playing to win here when we have been losing a lot in the face of temptation. So just understand that your psychologist or psychiatrist may not appreciate what I have to say next, but I'm going to say it anyway. Listen, when you are facing temptation, like many other big decisions in your life, you are going to need to make the decision to recognize what you feel, set it right over here, and then engage your decider, your will, and make some decisions. If you remain engaged in your feelings every time you make a decision, you're just going to do whatever you feel. How's that worked for you so far? Listen, which parent just looks at their kids and goes, do whatever you feel. It'll turn out great. Look at my life. All the times that I just said, whatever I feel like I'm going to do, look at all the blessings and prosperity that came from me just doing whatever I feel like doing. Listen, I'm never going to be the guy who says, ignore your feelings, that it, not the real, experience them, then set them right over here and then engage your decider and make a decision because I'm telling you something. When we're talking about temptation, if you do whatever you feel, you're going to do the sin. That Right? I mean, is, does that, is that not self-evident? Because if you're not feeling like doing it, you're not being tempted. Okay, people, I need some help here. Are you with me this morning? Okay, all right. So I'm just going to tell you that, yes, your time's going to have to say, okay, I recognize that I have these very strong feelings, but now I'm going to set them aside over here. And there's going to be many, many, there are going to be many, many occasions in your life when it is going to take an act of your will, an act of your will in spite of the things that you feel 
to one, do what is right. And secondly, then as a result, experience the blessing of God that comes from obedience. Okay? All that's the uh, self-awareness stuff that I was talking about. But if you want to win the battle against temptation, I'm going to encourage you to take your cues from Jesus. When tempted, he executed three plays that you can execute as well. And the first one is this. Play number one is make a decision to trust God. Make a decision to trust God. We didn't read Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11 again. Uh, we read it uh, last week. We read it the week before. You can flop your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 11 if you want to follow along. I'm, I'm at about verse 4 right now. In verse 4, you'll see that Jesus makes a decision and says, I'm going to trust God to feed me. The very first of the temptations was, hey, are you hungry? How about some food that I can get to you in an illegitimate way? Jesus was weakened by hunger. But rather than taking the illegitimate path to satisfying his need for strength, he instead trusted God to give him strength. What did he say? He said, listen, bread isn't enough. I need God to give me strength. I'm not going to jump on the first thing that seems to be appealing because it may only be filling and not really satisfying. Instead, I'm going to trust God to strengthen me in the face of the temptation Here's food in an illegitimate way. Okay? Make the decision to trust God. First, Jesus decided that he was going to trust God to feed him. Secondly, though, if we look at verse 5, we will see that Jesus decides, I'm going to trust God to protect and comfort me. So when the tempter insinuated to Jesus that God didn't love him or wouldn't protect him, when he said, are you sure God loves you? Don't you need him to, to show you or to prove his love to you right now? Why don't you just climb up there on top of the temple and jump off and it'll obviously kill you unless God loves you. In which case, he'll catch you and you'll be just fine. Don't you really need God to prove his love to you right now, Jesus? Don't, don't you need him to, to come through for you? Don't you, why don't you put the heat to him a little bit and see if God steps up to the plate? Jesus said, um, no, I don't really need him to this second. Instead, I'm going to trust him to protect me. Listen, here's a key principle for you to remember when you are facing a situation like this. You can make the decision, no, I'm not going to test God. I'm going to trust God. See, that's the way Jesus answered. Because he said, uh, Satan, God said, don't put him to the test. And it wasn't Jesus just uh, repeating a command from God, it was him making a decision that I don't always need God to come through in this second. And when I recognize that, I had best not put God to the test. But whether or not he felt like he needed that, Jesus took this one step back for a moment. And he said, in any given situation in which you are facing temptation, you can make the decision to trust God instead of testing God. How does a person do that? I think, first of all, you have to have some something of a memory, just a little bit of a memory left, enough to look back over your life and see, is there sufficient evidence that God comes through for people? This people. And if I can remember a handful of times in my life when I see that God has come through for me, why do I now need to try to force God, back him into a corner to try to make him do something for me? When instead I can say, I see the kind of God that you are. 
And for years I have seen the kind of God that you are. Today, I decide to trust instead of to test. Jesus made this decision to trust God. He said, I'm going to trust God to feed me. I'm going to strengthen me. I'm going to trust God to protect me. And in verse 10, then he says, I'm going to trust that God has a place for me. Do you remember the last temptation? The last temptation in this series was one in which the the devil came to Jesus and said, listen, rumor has it that you're supposed to be the king of the whole world eventually. How would you like to get there quickly and without pain? Early on, we see that Jesus had some sense that the crucifixion was going to take place. The devil comes to him and says, how would you like to get where you're going eventually anyway to being the king of the whole universe? How would you like to go there quickly and how would you like to do it without pain? I really am still talking about the Bible, not about diet plans, okay? Promise. In that moment, Jesus, Jesus, weakened by hunger and by these other temptations, had things swimming in his head. He said, yeah, I know. I thought I was supposed to be the king. But when I showed up down in Judea, some other guy is a really famous religious guy right now, and the whole world's following him. My cousin, John the Baptist. I thought, I thought God had a place for me. But the more that I, I think about the direction that this thing's going, and I see the, the way that our country is, the stage on which salvation is supposed to be played out, it seems like this could get pretty rough from here instead of a coronation mass in my honor. I wonder if God really has a place for me. All of us struggle to find our place in this life. We ask ourselves one form or more of this question, where do I fit in? Where do I fit in at home? Where do I fit in at school? Where do I fit in at church? Where do I fit in in certain social circles? Everyone needs, needs real answers to those questions. God created us as social critters. That means that we have social needs. We have the need to connect with other human beings, to know other people, and to be known by them. We need to know where we fit. Who are my people? Jesus was no exception because the Bible teaches that he was an authentic human being. But when this need came into focus in his life, and he was tempted to promote himself and to forcefully assert his place among men by taking an illegitimate path, to gaining everyone's praise, Jesus said, nah, I don't think so. He had the same opportunity that you and I do each day to promote himself, push himself into the lives of others or over others. And instead of taking that illegitimate path to gaining people's praise, Jesus refused. The question is why? And the answer is because he had chosen that God already had a place carved out for him. Listen, you don't know where your life is headed. You make some plans. Anybody's plans for life worked out 100% correct so far? If you're over seven, you can't hold your hand in the air, right? Ooh, man, life takes some hard left-hand turns, doesn't it? You know, you know what I'm talking about when I say the, uh, the unannounced hard left-hand turn? Imagine that you're sitting in the uh, passenger seat of your family vehicle. Passenger seat. Window is right here. Somebody else is driving. You're just lost in Wonderland, talking, listening to the radio, whatever. All of a sudden, they take a hard, unannounced left-hand turn, and your head goes right on the glass. Does life do that to you sometimes? Do you get those hard, unannounced left-hand turns in life that beat your head against something hard and leave you a little bit dazed, confused, in pain, and don't know exactly where you're headed or why? 
In times like that, every one of us is going to have this, this question that we ask God. Uh, wait a minute, God, what's going on here? Where do I fit into your plans? Where does this fit into my plans? My plans look like they've been scrapped. Listen, Jesus suffered these things just like we did. But when he was put in this position, he had chosen to trust that God already had a place carved out for him. Listen, when your plans don't work out, when you don't get that promotion, when the financing for the house falls through, when the kids don't act like they're supposed to, when they're grown kids, but they're still acting like little kids, um, life hasn't quite worked out the way that you want it to, what are you going to do? Jesus decided, I'm not going to try to get the praise of men. I'm not going to try to force fit the world to work the way I want it to. In his case, he said, I'm not going to try to become their king. I'm not going to try to become their God. I'm not going to try to work my plan. I'm going to take one step back and I'm going to sink into the plans that God has for me. I'm going to trust that the Father is good and that His chosen place for me is good. So I'm not going to self-promote. I'm not going to try to take the Father's place. I'm going to let the praise and the worship go to Him. I will stand by as His Son in second place. Let me ask you a question this morning. When life hasn't worked out for you, when there's been an unannounced, hard, left-hand turn, the plans all seem to be changing, and you wonder, where is God in this? Understand this. There is a, you are at the point of decision because you're at the point of temptation. You can either get all upset, cry, scream, accuse God. And you can take that big deep breath that says, I believe God's still got the wheel. And I believe that there's still a place in this vehicle of his for me where he is going to keep me safe and take me to the chosen destination that he has planned out for me from the past, from eternity past. See, that's what Jesus did when he was tempted that last time. He says, yes, I know I'm supposed to become the king, but I heard it's a bumpy road between here and there. Instead of taking the short one, I'm going to take the one that God has chosen for me because I trust that he has a place for me. When you're facing temptation, if you want to win, you've got to play to win. And, and, and the first play is this. You've got to trust God. You've got to trust him to strengthen you. You've got to trust him to protect you. And you've got to trust that he has a place for you. You may be experiencing some needs in your life right now with very strong feelings attached. Your financial situation may be shaky and you wonder where the next meal or the next payment is coming from. Uh, you may be tempted to steal, to cheat, to manipulate people to get your needs covered. But there's another way. You can decide today that you are going to trust God to provide for you. You may not feel secure in the sense of being protected or comforted, so you're tempted to self-medicate or to manipulate others into declaring and demonstrating their love for you. But there's another way. You can decide to believe that God values you highly and that he will come to your aid when you need him most. You may not feel secure in the sense of being loved or valuable, and so you're tempted to self-promote or to brag or to try to get people to like you. Listen, that is almost always going to lead you down the path of moral compromise. But there's another way. You can choose to decide today to trust that God already has a place in his family carved out for you. And you can rest in the knowledge that you are a son or a daughter of the God. The place of security takes you somewhere other than I force my way in this world. Make a decision to trust God. That's play number one. Play number two is this. Make a decision to follow God. And I'm going to use the word follow in two senses. So the first sense is this. Follow him in the sense of 
following his instructions for living. Now listen, I understand this is the point where you could uh, turn the hearing aid off or you could start playing words for friends for real on your phone because as soon as, as the preacher says anything about read your Bible, people are like, dude, really? For the one billionth time, preacher telling us to read the Bible? Can you hang with me for just a minute? If you want to be successful in the face of temptation, you're going to have to make a decision to follow God. And that means you have to know where he's going. And he has told us exactly where he is going. Following in the sense of following his instructions brings us to this place of recognizing the importance of knowing what God's word teaches. And you can only do that by one, showing up at some church for 30-ish minutes a week, Getting little bits and pieces of it. Listen, can I can I give you a little? Um, I'm giving away a trade secret here. You want the trade secrets of preaching? Here you go. Every pastor in the world promises to starve you to death slowly, if all you do is count on his sermon each week to feed you. We intentionally get up here every week, knowing that we cannot keep people spiritually alive. We cannot make people strong and robust in their faith. We cannot turn people who cower into warriors in this world in 30-ish, 40-ish minutes a week. I don't have what it takes to get you the goods, to transform you in this life in the few minutes that I have each week. That's why every pastor says, the best I can do is starve you to death slowly. Here's the good news. You don't have to starve to death. Copies of the scripture, don't have one, I'll get you one. You have any electronic device, you have 8 billion Bibles at your fingertips. But listen, folks, just being as practical as I know how, if you are going to follow God in this world, you've got to learn where he's going. Because sometimes he walks in the dark. You will not be able to see where he is going. So you must know in advance where he is going so that you can follow him. importance of reading the word really comes down to just being practical about how we live. Read carefully and understand that the Bible is full of a whole lot more don't live like this stories than, than it is live like this stories. You know that? Do you know that? When you read the Bible, it seems like, man, people were messed up. Huh. Right? Yes, the Bible is full of stories about messed up people. And there are a lot more stories in the Bible that are don't live like this stories than there are stories that are saying do live like this. But if you read with just, you know, a a little bit of uh, intentionality, you'll very quickly come to that aha moment of shouldn't do this. Or, yeah, this is one of those models for us to follow. But if you read the scriptures and you sort through the don't live like this guy stories and you, you get to the live like this guy stories, you're going to find yourself able to follow. And there's another word for follow. Another one of the Bible words for follow is obey. Okay? I'm not talking about this long list of commandments and rules. I'm just talking about you understanding where God goes, listening to him. And when he says left foot, then you put your left foot forward. And when he says right foot, then you put right foot forward. And some of those things he's written in advance for us. Okay. Follow in the sense of following in his instructions, but also follow in the sense of following Jesus' example. Uh, several years back, you saw people wearing bracelets, T-shirts, hats. Uh, they had bumper stickers on their car. They said, what would Jesus do? And I think it was, for the most part, a good movement. And it came from, from a, uh, a book that was about 100 years old that, where a, a pastor ended up asking this question, what would Jesus do? And just try to get people to, to evaluate their every decision in this world based on what they think Jesus might have done in their situation. I think there is a much better question to ask. 
Instead of what would Jesus do, where I get to guess and postulate about what it might be like in my situation, I instead ask, what did Jesus do? I just look back and read what he did and then do those things in this world. Number one, you're going to make a gigantic difference in this world because you know what Jesus did? He spent most of his life helping other people. Instead of gazing at himself and his own desires all of the time, he had this outward focus where he lived his life to serve other people. Did Jesus face temptation? Yeah. Did he face more temptations than Matthew 4? Yeah, absolutely. Did Jesus face as much temptation as you and I? Uh, For a lot of us, no. Because we've lived longer than 33 and Jesus died when he was 33. But during his years on this planet, I'm convinced that Jesus settled a number of issues and that the, the practice are this, that Jesus wasn't tempted as much as you and I because he didn't spend as much time worrying about himself like we do. He had this focus that was on the well-being of other people. He genuinely loved. He preferred their well-being over his own. And when you focus on meeting the needs of other people, You spend a whole lot less time concentrating on your desires, some of which are evil. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Follow in the sense of following Jesus' example. When he he was facing temptation, what did he do? Not only did he obey, decide to obey, but he also answered Satan's temptations by quoting the Bible to him. Remember that story? It's uh, Matthew chapter 4. In the temptation, every time that that Satan said something to Jesus, hey, why don't you fill in the blank? Jesus answered by quoting some Bible verse to him. And if you look at the footnotes for Matthew chapter 4, you will see that every single time that Jesus quoted Scripture to the tempter, he was quoting from the Old Testament, specifically from the book of Deuteronomy, which is, for the most part, a lot of laws. How was Jesus able to do that? Did he play the magic Jesus card? I know all things, because, you know, Jesus. Jesus studied the Word. Now, uh, our Sunday school, admittedly, is not like um, synagogue in the day of Christ. We do a little bit of memory work. Dina, where are you? Thank the Lord for Dina and the other gals who make our little kids, encourage our little kids to memorize God's Word. Please do more and more and more and more and more and more of that. Yeah, you don't have to hide from me, Dina. I'm, I'm not going to ask you to get up here and do something. I'm saying thank you, okay? History tells us that uh, about the, by, by the time Jesus was uh, a boy, the requirement for, for him to make the, the transition into recognized manhood in his culture, he had to memorize the first five books of the Bible, and I don't mean their names. <laughs> I mean... To, had to be able to quote all of Genesis, 50 chapters, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It was from, I'm not, I'm not even encouraging you to do that, I'm not. I'm just saying that if we're going to follow Jesus' example, if we're going to do what he did, then we have to put ourselves in a position where we can actually do that. And when the chips were down, when he was weakened by hunger, 40 days of hunger, when he was weakened by two other temptations that seemed to have come in immediate succession, and he feels like, man, every time I turn around, I'm finding myself wanting to do something that I ought not to do. It seems like Satan himself is right here with me and just ratcheting it up, up the, the heat and the temptation all the time. What did he do? He got centered, remembered what he believed, and then began to speak the word of truth, whether to himself or to the enemy or both. All I know is that at the end of the deal, Jesus came out of it with his faith intact, having not sinned against God and having, having walked in the steps that God had carved out for him. 
Friends, I want to tell you something about the Word of God. There is real comfort and personal power for overcoming temptation when you already know exactly what God expects of you in any given situation. I'm going to say it again. There's real comfort and personal power for overcoming temptation when you already know what God wants you to do. And you can know what God wants you to do in virtually any situation if you will read and understand His truth, His Word. Secondly, there is real power in knowing and proclaiming the truth as well. You may have to hear yourself say the truth out loud at times in order to overcome the lies and the temptations of the enemy. And so practical Cliff, not preacher Cliff, is saying to you today, read the Bible. Become familiar with it. It will part the clouds of confusion for you in times of temptation. You have no greater tool, no greater weapon at your disposal than the Word of God. If you're going to be successful when you face temptation, you've got to execute three plays. The first one is make a decision to trust God. The second one is make a decision to follow God. And the third one is make a decision to wait on God. Now, uh, Pastors everywhere stand in pulpits like this one every Sunday and they say, let me explain to you what this word means in Greek. Or let me explain to you what this word means in Hebrew. And it's this long blah, blah, blah answer and I do that some. I find it a fantastic way to study God's word. This morning, I want to help you understand what the word wait means. In the original language, the word wait means wait. Yeah. Uh, I, wish, I wish it meant you don't have to wait. God just boop. Like that, whenever you need him and whenever you decide, boop, God on the scene, you could just sing the insurance commercial. What, which, which, what, you guys know what I'm talking about? The commercial, what is it? State Farm. Who said that? I mean, besides Noah. Faith, would you just stand and sing that for us real quick, please? Dad's privilege, right? I get to, my kids, yeah. You know, you've seen the commercial, right? You just... Um, state, like a good neighbor, like, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Boom! And then the State Farm guy shows up and fixes everything. Right? Don't you wish that life worked like that? That, that when you were in any kind of a jam, you just said the God word and boom, he's right there. I've read the scriptures and I've lived some. You know what I found out? The Bible says wait on God, and the Bible says you're going to have to wait on God. And my experience says there's some waiting to do. This is the hardest of all three plays to execute because it takes tremendous strength of will and at the same time, a decided reliance upon God to help you go the distance. Temptation sometimes lasts quite a while, and you're going to have to outlast it. Temptation may come again and again and again, and you may have to face that same temptation many, many times. But generally speaking, temptation is seasonal, not constant. And aren't we glad for that? That uh, you get to come up for air once in a while, that's a good thing. It means that any one particular temptation you are facing will have an end at some point in time. But you are going to have to get to that point. The point where it ends. But when you have... You will have some time to gather your strength and take another breath before the next temptation comes your way. You've seen temptations, seasons of temptations come and go in your life, haven't you? 
You've had seasons of doubt, seasons of fear, seasons of greed, seasons of anger, seasons of jealousy or anxiety or envy or self-pity. You don't have to shout amen or put your hands in the air, but you've been there, right? Seasons. Temptations last a while, but they don't last forever. Knowing that, you've got to understand a few things. Number one, you've got to muscle up at times. In this faith, this faith is not for pansies. And it is not passive. You don't get to just sit there. You're going to have to muscle up some as a Christ follower. Number two, you've got to quit making excuses. Can I define excuse for you? I've done it before. Excuse is lies we tell ourselves and others to let ourselves off the hook when I never intended to be successful in the first place. Right? An excuse is a lie I tell myself or others to let myself off the hook when I never intended to be successful in the first place. If you didn't intend to be successful in the face of temptation, don't cry about how it didn't work out. Confess, Father, I have sinned. That's the place to start. Waiting on God means that um, in these seasons of life, when temptation comes and it doesn't let up instantly, I've got to muscle up. I've got to quit making excuses. I have to decide what I'm going to do. I have to then call on God for help, and then the next part is wait. You muscle up. You work hard at it. You decide, I'm not going to make any excuses. I have decided that I'm going to obey God. I need your help. And sometimes he doesn't show up right that second. Your experience? Yeah. I'd like to say to you that God always responds to our cries for help immediately, but I cannot honestly say that. And here's why. The Bible tells us many, many stories about God waiting and forcing his people to wait. Secondly, I can't tell you, God always shows up at the instant that I want him because there are times when I have cried out to him. What I've had to do is wait. Listen, if God just showed up and delivered you at your first cry, you would never grow strong, no stronger than you are right now. You'd never be stronger when the next temptation come along. We'd just let out one little peep. God would take it away and we could stay flimsy and little and weak and delicate. Listen, here's a little truth in advertising, a little real world Christianity. Sometimes you are just going to have to wait on God to come through for you. But he will. Listen, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers sang the song, The Waiting is the Hardest Part truth. That should have been in the Bible, people. That should have been in the Bible. The waiting is the hardest part. Yeah, it is. But there's some times in life when you are simply going to have to cry out to God and decide, I don't move until He shows up. I don't back off one step. I don't take one step forward or to the left or the right. Here I stand while I wait on God. But you're going to have to wait. But as surely as there are times when you're going to have to wait on God, there's the promise of God that he will eventually answer and come to your aid and deliver you. See, waiting on God isn't possible if I'm waiting to see if God will show up. Waiting becomes possible when I know that God's going to show up.
I just don't know when. Right? Yeah. Look at the story of Jesus again. Note the passage of time. And grown up, like you probably know the scriptures uh, explain, they don't give us a ton of information about his childhood, but, but we start to learn more about him as an adult when he makes his way from the, the hill country up north down to the south where his cousin John the Baptist had some sort of religious revival kind of thing happening and Jesus waits on the wings of that and learns and listens and, and, and sees the, the hearts of his country turning from their sinful ways back toward this idea that I want to I want to turn from my way and I want to face God's way and they were taking that first step of obedience that direction. They were being baptized, it says, for the repentance or the remission of sins. Jesus is watching all of it and one day instead of watching he steps into the crowd and says, I want to be baptized too. I want to be part of what God is doing here. And I want to be this example for other people to follow. John the Baptist said, sidebar, we got to talk about this. Remember, you're the Messiah. Maybe you should do the baptizing. Jesus said, trust me, this fulfills something that was written long ago. And he was baptized and an incredible thing happened. The sky broke open. And God the Holy Spirit came down and landed on Jesus. And the Father's voice boomed from the heavens. This is my boy and I'm proud of him and you should listen to him. And from this incredible religious high, Jesus walks out into the wilderness to spend 40 days fasting. 40 days is 40 stinking days. How about 40 days of waiting for your tax return? It's a long time, isn't it? I got to tell you, 40 days of waiting for the election was a long time. 40 days of waiting for your prayer to be answered. Long time. 40 days for Jesus in the wilderness. It's a long time. Somewhere in there he got hungry. I bet it wasn't day 40. He was faced with temptations. What did he do? He made the decision to trust God to feed him and to strengthen him. He made the decision to trust that God would protect him and comfort him. He made the decision to trust that God had a place for him and that he really loved him and he'd work out all those details for him eventually. He committed himself to obedience and he com combated the tempter by, by quoting God's word to him, both as a way of solidifying his own commitment to obedience and I think of beating back the gates of hell itself by speaking the powerful word of God. And then he waited. It was, it was after all of this, Matthew said, that the angels came and fed Jesus. It was after the temptation that they came and ministered comfort to him. It was after the temptation that he got to experience the signs of God's love. Food, angels. What was it that got him through the temptations? Trust. And a decision to follow God. What was it that happened to him after? comfort and care. Get it? You have not faced the last temptation of your life. If you have, um, we should plan your funeral because you're probably going to die this afternoon. If you face the last temptation of your life, 
Um, you're not long for this world, pal. What are you going to do the next time you face temptation? How are you going to respond? If you want to win, then you've got to realize what's happening to you. There's an inner struggle that comes from your own desires, which are sometimes evil. There's an external struggle with a very real devil who is opposing you, and you are going to have to choose ahead of time a destination. Where do you want this thing to take you? You're going to have to be honest with yourself and with God and admit that many times you've lost because you played to lose. You wanted to play around with temptation or sin itself, and you flirted with it, and you dabbled in it, and then you found yourself falling in love with it. And I want you to know today, you do not have to live as a prisoner to sin any longer. You can experience victory over sin. But if you want to win, you've got to play to win. Listen, I'll tell you why I am a part of the Church of the Nazarene today. I know that the Church of the Nazarene is only one tiny little sliver of the kingdom of God. And it is not the only true church. It is not, I won't even make the claim that we're the best church out there because I don't, I don't even know how to measure that kind of nonsense. But we are a part of the one true church of Jesus Christ. There's a reason that I go to this part of it. It's because from our very earliest days, we have believed and therefore have taught that you don't have to live prisoner to sin. We do not believe that you have to sin every day in word and thought and deed. We don't believe that. We believe that there is power for the Christ follower in relationship with Jesus and by the infilling of his Holy Spirit and by getting to know his word. We believe that it's possible to have victory in temptation and victory over sin. That's why I'm a Nazarene Christian. is because I want my relationship with God to be something more than a long list of apologies. And I believe that He can do more than forgive me. He can change me and make me like Him. But it will never happen if I play to lose every time. But if I will learn to trust God. If I will learn to follow God, then we'll put on my big boy pants and wait on God. There's victory for me. There's victory for you. I want First Nance to be a place where people can be real. And that means that this is a place where we can admit our spiritual weaknesses and faults and shortcomings and even our sins but not wallow in them. You want to know how it can become that kind of a place? It takes courageous people to lead the way. People who will admit their need and ask for prayer. Today, we can take another step in that direction. The altar in a few moments will be open for anyone who wants to come and kneel and pray about whatever God may have spoken to you about today. In addition, let me ask you a few questions. Do you have a difficult time really trusting God to take care of you? If that's the case today and you want someone to pray with you about that, when we open the altars, Pastor Bill and Pastor Aaron will be ready to come and pray with you. If you just need some reassurance that God loves you and that he will take care of you. 
Do you struggle with following God either by being obedient to His commands or by just living like Jesus did, following His example? You need some help there? Pastors, friends, board members will come and pray with you. And finally, swallow hard. You having a hard time waiting on God? Does it feel a little bit like you may be getting to the end of your ability to wait? Does it seem like God's taking too long, like He's leaving you in the lurch against temptation? Does it seem like you just can't last any longer in the struggle? And if that's the case, then you'd like someone to pray with you for God to come through today or to give you more strength for the battle. Then in just a few minutes, I'm going to open the altar and why don't you come and, and pray? Last two weeks, I think, were pretty heavy and um, not the funnest sermons that I ever preached. It's just talking about temptation. Why I lose as often as I do. I think today is an awfully good day. Because if there were 13 things I had to remember in order to win temptation, I'd just give up right now. Word of testimony. Okay? There's just three. Trust God. Follow Him. Wait. He's going to come through for you. I want to worship a God like that. I think worshiping is a great way to wait on the Lord as well. So I want to ask the worship team to just come right now. Um, you can... Why don't you stand where you are? And let's give God the glory and honor that He deserves. If you're struggling right now, you may need to praise your way through this thing too. And that's why these first couple of songs are kind of big and praise-oriented. In a few moments, we'll sing some other songs that may be a bit more conducive to prayer, and we'll invite you to come and uh, make your way to the altar. You'll have friends or pastors who will pray with you. But Lord, we bow in your presence this morning, and we confess that we have been a people who have sinned, partly because we, uh, we played to lose, and partly because we were immature and just didn't want to have to wait on you at all. Lord, this morning, we're just going to give all those things to you. And we're going to ask if you would please now come and be our strength. Either be our deliverer or be our strength. You've got to be one or the other because some of us this morning just can't go on any longer. Lord, for those who are bowing in your presence right now and saying, I can't take one more step. Now I'm asking you to come through and do it now. But I'm also asking you to help us to grow and mature in our faith. And if it means that we have to be in this struggle a little bit longer, then so be it. We just need to know that you're in it here with us. We turn our attention from those things for just a moment to remind ourselves of what a mighty, powerful God you are. When you come to save, you come with strength. When you come to wait with us, you come with strength. We praise your holy name for these things. Amen.